What is going on, y'all? Welcome to Ornithologically Correct with Josh Lynn. I am Josh Lynn, and this is episode number two. Uh, thank you all for listening to our uh, premiere episode that came out last week. And anybody that follows the site Twitter account at the underscore OC underscore podcast, I am forever indebted to you. So thank you very much for the support. And I hope to continue to earn the support of you and many others moving forward. Finally, so this is the uh, the first ornithologically correct where we have some actual meaningful games to break down. The Major League Baseball season has started. Teams are two series deep, about to begin their third series, depending on how their schedule lines up. And the Orioles are about to get their home schedule off the ground at Camden Yards. It was supposed to be tonight, but it has been postponed till tomorrow due to some uh, impending threat of rain. Uh, although I've heard from some people here on the Orioles Twitter that are closer to the Baltimore area that it was actually very nice today. So that, that decision may have backfired. Uh, I'm about two and a half, three hours north of Baltimore, and it's been a little crappy here. But uh, yeah, kind of hope it rains today and stays nice tomorrow. So it, we don't lose out on two straight days of games, but um, yeah, we'll see how Mother Nature cooperates. And I also wish I could be down there at Camden Yards. Uh, I was down there last year for the home opener against Milwaukee, and that was the first opening day I'd ever been to. Uh, and it was just really cool to get to see all the, you know, festivities and pomp and circumstance firsthand, as opposed to seeing it on TV. So uh, to anybody that's going down to the yard tomorrow or the rest of this weekend, I hope you have the best time, and I hope we get a series sweep to go along with it. That would be ideal. So the Orioles are off to a three and three start. Uh, lost two of three to the Red Sox and then just followed it up in Arlington by taking two of three from the Texas Rangers, which was a nice rebound after how the opening series in Boston ended. Uh, that was definitely a very, very, uh, underwhelming series and you could you know probably should be four and two uh right now but such is life and thankfully there's still a ton of games to go but the uh the first series came and went the first game went fantastic the uh you know the Orioles got got the 10-9 win the bullpen was a little bit shaky and gave up a big lead that the Orioles had but they they managed to to pull through and the offense was the star of the show as it was on uh, Saturday before the ninth inning happened and the wheels kind of fell off. But uh, all in all, they scored 23 runs in that first series, which is um, amazing. <laughs> you, you know, you can't beat almost eight runs a game. And then they uh, went to Texas, shut out the Rangers in game, uh, game number one. Then they won uh, game number two with Kyle Gibson on the mound and dropped the uh, sweep opportunity yesterday with Jacob DeGrom starting. Uh, though they did touch him for some runs, but unfortunately it was not enough, and the, the bullpen uh, gave up a lead, or not gave up a lead, um, gave up runs after we tied the game 2-2 while Grayson Rodriguez was making his Major League debut. We will get into that later. Uh, and just as a whole, you know, through these first six games, I think – the offense is obviously the first thing that sticks out as, as something that's going right for the Orioles. Uh, and that's an understatement. Um, 
they've had contributions from just about anybody starting off on in the series opener with Adley Rutschman, who went five to five and uh, eventually made it six consecutive hits with his first at bat on uh, last Saturday. But, uh, you know, also he hit the hit the home run in the in the top of the first for the Orioles that sent them on their way to the victory. And then Austin Hayes followed him up the next uh, game with a five hit game of his own. Um, Ryan Mountcastle has chipped in some home runs. Adam Frazier, who's been a much maligned signing this offseason by many Orioles fans, myself included, was consistently producing throughout the the first six games of the year, including a home run in Boston. Um, You had, well, Jorge Mateo has been a man on fire. And, you know, it's obviously his offensive track record is such that this is something that we're going to have to just kind of enjoy the heater while he's on it. And this is obviously not going to be his new normal, but he had, uh, you know, he's had two home runs in consecutive games, which is the first time he's done that in his career. He's already got five steals or uh, four steals, excuse me. Uh, Just been, and you know, for being at the bottom of the order, that's huge because he leads directly into Mullins, Rutschman, uh, you know, Santander. So to have that continuity from the bottom of the lineup to the top production-wise has been huge. Uh, you have uh, the team as a whole has hit 11 home runs, which trails only the Rays and the Dodgers in Major League Baseball. Been hitting it out of the park. They have the fourth highest weighted runs created plus, which is a stat that uses WOBA as its base and scales itself to make league average 100. Uh, their weighted runs created plus currently sits at 130, meaning their offense is 30% more productive than average. Um, and, you know, this is something that we expected from this offense and so far that they've, they've delivered. We were banking on continued progression from the young guys like Rutschman, Henderson, Mountcastle, and then counting on the, you know, the continued peak production of guys like Mullins, and Santander. Uh, now Santander has been a little bit cold to start the season, but no reason to, to think that he won't come good. Uh, Mullins has been has been fantastic so far. Uh, he has pretty much carried them through the Red Sox series. He was, I think, their most consistent offensive performer through the three games. And then he also had the he's had two home runs, uh, including one off of Chris Sale, and that is significant because he struggled mightily against lefties last year. And that was, if you could attribute his offensive decline, relatively speaking to anything, it would, it would be his, his struggles against lefties um, because he fared decently well against them in 2021 when he had his silver slugger season. So for him to get off to a hot start, he's four for seven with a double and a home run against lefties so far. So to, you know, hopefully that's that trend continues. He's obviously not going to hit over 500 against them, but um, if he could even get back up to hitting 250 against lefties with some power, we're looking at a, t- a top tier center fielder and an all star like he was in 2021. There's no reason why he couldn't be. And you know, combine that with his defense, though he's had some shaky plays this year. You know, there's few center fielders you would rather have, uh, especially considering his cost as well. Um, 
So, you know, that that resurgence of him against lefties is a storyline to definitely keep an eye on and is something that I'm encouraged by to start the season. Um, now, related to the offense as a whole, some people may point to their batting average and balls in play and suggest they might be getting a little bit lucky. Their batting average and balls in play is 311, which is the ninth highest in Major League Baseball. Um, so it's slightly above average. It's nothing that would indicate a major fluke of any kind. Um, it's just a little bit high. However, if you consider the fact that the Orioles have the eighth highest average exit velocity right now of 89.8 miles per hour, that could potentially lend itself to a higher batting average of balls of play. Because obviously if you hit the ball harder, the less likely the defense will make it out of it. So you could say that those two correlate and it's not too much of a, of a fluke and obviously the biggest, you know, uh, disclaimer in all of this is that it's a six game sample, which is nothing you really, it's not impossible to, to glean anything from a six game sample, but, um, the early numbers don't suggest anything crazy. And, uh, they've also been a standout, uh, with stolen bases. Obviously they, uh, had, I believe five in the first two games against the, uh, against the Red Sox, and they have 11 total, which leads Major League Baseball. And Mateo and Mullins each have four, which uh, contributes to the bulk of that total. Uh, And uh, that's really no different than last year when they were one and two in the American League in steals. And they are, you know, very early, but it's they're on their way to to repeating those marks or even surpassing them. Uh, Though with Mateo, his numbers will be limited just by the fact that he generally doesn't get on base that much. I think his, he had a 267 on base last year. Um, so he's definitely benefiting from the hot offensive start and generating steals out of the uh, increased time that he's had on base. Um, so of the two, I would expect Mateo's pace to fall off more just because of that. Um, but he, he still will probably end up around 25 to 30 if he gets regular playing time, which you'll take any day of the week and Mullins will um, probably be in the same range as well. And then you have other guys like McKenna can steal a base, like, you know, every now and again when he's in the game. Um, So that'll continue to be a a thing that makes the Orioles offense dynamic um, more so in recent years. Um, So moving on to uh, the defense so far this year, it's, it's, Definitely an area in which the Orioles could use some more uh, a time. They've had seven errors so far in the six games, which is the second most in the majors, trailing Oakland and their third ahead of the Nats. Who So those two teams are by and large projected to be the worst teams in the majors. So that's not good company to have. Uh, and that's something that they're going to have to clean up. So um, in Mateo has two of them, including uh, one in the opener against the Red Sox in the ninth inning, which was a throw. He just rushed the throw and it hopped and Mountcastle couldn't get it. Um, and that was, uh, thankfully, the, the Orioles got away with that and still sealed up the win. And then he had another another error in Texas. Uh, Gunnar Henderson had an error yesterday. Um, it, it definitely, there weren't any huge mishaps in Texas like there were in, in Boston, like, you had that play with Henderson and Vavra letting the ball drop in. Um, you had Santander 
misplay a fly ball that he should have caught. Mullins had two balls that he should have caught. Um, I know one directly led to a run. So, you know, thankfully that didn't happen in Texas, uh, but there were still some errors committed. Uh, And this was a good defensive team last year that brings back pretty much everybody that contributed to that. So it's something that I don't, I'm not concerned with long-term, but you just, they really got to clean up the, the outfield, especially. Um, I don't know if it's a communication issue or what have you, or if maybe they were just struggling because the, like, I know the uh, opening day in, in Boston was a 405 game. So I don't know if that contributed to like, maybe the sun was positioned differently. I don't know, but uh, it's something that can't continue. Uh, we've already seen it directly cost us a game uh, that we should have won in Boston last Saturday when McKenna dropped the fly ball with two outs. But um, I have faith in them to get it corrected. Uh, they, you know, last year they were very detail oriented defensively didn't really there weren't a lot of occasions where like cutoff men were missed or you know fundamental mistakes were were made so I have faith in the players and the coaching staff to to get a hold on whatever issues there are and and rectify the situation um but yeah it's thankfully the 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 two errors that were committed in Texas were really like the one yesterday didn't impact the the outcome of the game and and Friday or uh, not Friday, the, the first game uh, on Monday, they won. So, you know, it didn't have any consequence, but, you know, it's, again, we just can't have, can't let it happen if you're trying to compete for a wild card spot with so many other good teams. And uh, now we are going to move to the news that was consuming Orioles Twitter for the last several days, and that was Grayson Rodriguez making his major league debut against the Texas Rangers, uh, opposed to uh, opposing Jacob Degrom. He completed five innings, allowed four hits, two earned runs, walked one, struck out five, and earned the. Uh, it was a no decision. Uh, the game was tied two two when he left it, and it very encouraging. Um, especially after watching his opening start in Norfolk uh, against the Durham Bulls. He, uh, in his minor league start, I I thought his two-strike approach was not the greatest. I I thought he nibbled a little bit too much and wasn't really throwing competitive pitches in the zone. Um, And that led to walks. He he walked two guys that he had one, two, and then another, uh, I believe it was Vidal Bruhan, that he had 0-2 and ended up walking him. And uh, he was ended up being chased before he completed four innings. So, and then coupled that with the first inning he had where he threw 30 pitches, allowed two runs, walked one. Uh, it, it was definitely concerning, and it seemed like his debut was going to be a short one. But he rebounded so well after that first inning and was very efficient. Uh, through 83 pitches total. So from the second to fifth inning, he was averaging a little over 13 pitches an inning, which is incredibly efficient. Didn't walk anybody else. Uh, all of his strikeouts happened in, uh, in those innings. Uh, he generated 
14 swings and misses. Uh, he eight on the fastball, four on his slider, and then one apiece in his changeup and curveball. And his average exit velocity against was 84.6 miles an hour, which is uh, about four miles an hour slower than the major league average. So he did good at avoiding a lot of hard contact and, you know, generated a lot of upswings and misses, which is no surprise considering his stuff. Um, and, you know, uh, I was alluding to his two strike approach in Norfolk. It was a lot better in this start than it was during his AAA start. But I did see a lot of his sliders were located in a, in a areas that weren't going to get the, uh, the batters to chase. Um, they started low out of the strike zone and finished, you know, off the plate. So if he can kind of hone in on his breaking stuff a little bit more to make it look more competitive, to generate more swings and misses, um, he's going to be at as advertised, no doubt. Um, and obviously that's, you know, you're not ever going to get a completely polished product from a pitching prospect in their first career start, no matter how uh, highly touted they are. Um, I think, I mean, you obviously have outliers like the, remember Steven Strasburg's debut back in the day was, I think he had like 14 strikeouts in, in seven innings or something like that. But uh, that's very much the exception and not the rule. And, you know, five innings to earn with five Ks is nothing to sneeze at. And, um, you know, I, I don't think we could have, could have hoped for anything more uh i think a question remains um whether this is permanent or he'll go back down i think that remains to be seen but um i actually had an interesting note about his changeup that i saw on twitter uh, it was from lance brzezowski he's at lance bras b-r-o-z on twitter uh so his changeup yesterday had nine inches of vertical break which compared to 2022 was six inches more. He had three inches. Uh, and then in 21, 2021, between single and double A, uh, it had negative one inches of vertical uh, break. And this coupled with the spin direction, um, it actually suggests that he was adding lift to the pitch. Uh, so it was rising. Um, so the negative one inches, basically that just means that the ball was dropping. Um, significantly um which was the main reason he was able to generate so many swings and misses on the pitch um and the changeup has been regarded his best pitch for the the last few years since he's been uh since he's worked on it with the new front office um and so basically with the new uh not like the the new changeup so to speak with nine inches of vertical break if it adds lift that makes it much more difficult for him to generate swings and misses and it doesn't differentiate itself from his fastball as much. Um, if you have a, you know, like his old changeup with a similar release point and spin, and then it just falls off the table. It, it's like, good luck hitting that. Um, but this was a little more flat. So I don't know if it's something he's been, uh, you know, and, and Lance suggests that maybe he's been tinkering with it, but, um, he, he's hypothesizes that basically if this, this trend continues, uh, the changeup no longer becomes his best pitch, which, you know, he's obviously throwing high nineties fastball has a good, 
good slider and, and a decent enough curve. But if, if he can get that changeup back to what it was, um, that's more like the guy that was the num- number one p- consensus, number one pitching prospect in baseball. Uh, I, I know a couple of different scouting services did nick him for a slight uh, decrease in stuff. And that, that changeup assuredly has something to do with that. Um, so who knows? I, I mean, we have, I, I mean, I wouldn't take any other team's player development uh, staff over the Orioles. They've shown proven results since they've been there since 2018. So I, I try, if there is anything problematic about this, I trust them to, to identify, be able to identify and, and remedy the problem. Um, but you would, you definitely like to see him get one more than one swing and miss on that changeup uh, as he did yesterday, because that would just completely unlock him. It would, be, it would take him from, you know, potential, you know, number two starter to bona fide ace, which he still could be. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm still high on him, but, that change up coming back to, to what it was would be, would be huge. Um, so that's definitely something to watch. And, uh, you know, the state of the staff as a whole, uh, after the Boston series, I think there were a few alarm bells going off most notably about the bullpen. Uh, I think, I think the bullpen began to stabilize a little bit in Texas. And again, it's, it's just so, so early. And, you know, most of these relievers have made, two, three appearances at most, you know, which is two or three innings at most. So, you know, there's really nothing you can gain from the peripherals yet. But um, I thought, like, well, Batista got his velocity back. I know it was down a little bit in the first game of Boston. He's back to throwing 9,900 regularly. Uh, He looked absolutely disgusting on, on Friday or I don't know why I keep saying Friday um, on Monday uh, in, uh, in Texas. And uh, even though he was coming in for Tyler Wells, who many people thought should have stayed in that game, but I digress. Um, CNO Perez has, you know, looked, looked fine. Um, Brian Baker had a rough, rough go of it in Boston. He's thrown three scoreless since then. Um, his, Velocity, I've noticed, is down a bit from where it was late last summer. Uh, he found it looked like an extra like two or three miles an hour in his fastball in August. He started throwing like 97, 98. Uh, it looks like he's back down to 95, 96, but got the cutter, got the the breaking ball. So I I think I think he'll be fine. I think. Um, the the long relievers are a bit concerning. Aiken has uh, has given up some hits, also allowed some inherited runners to score. Austin Voth has looked shaky in pretty much every appearance he's made. Uh, he gave up three earned runs yesterday in Texas, uh, and that was quite a surprise to me. I thought Voth was going to be a constant, um, just with how well he pitched last year in the rotation and how much better his stuff was. Um, he was another guy that was uh, tinkering with new pitches, started throwing a slider again and was getting good results with it. So I thought that combined with his stuff, being able to play up in the bullpen would, 
result in a reliable long reliever or a mop up guy or even a guy who can start in a pinch, but his his start has been less than stellar. Um, so that it would be nice to get uh, 2022 both back, even if it was like 90% of 2022 both, because he was very, very good for very, very good for the Orioles. And Mike Bauman had a, another, had a shaky appearance. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm still not sold on Bauman certainly as much as other guys are like the big fastballs there. He just can't seem to avoid hard contact. And when he gets to the major league level, um, so I would hesitate to call him a, a reliable option. But if you consider that the Orioles are currently going without two of their best relievers in Tate and Gibbons, uh, Tate especially was, I would say, unequivocally their second best reliever last year. Um, so the group is doing okay considering that. But um, they hopefully Gibbons and, and Tate can continue to rehab on schedule and come back as soon as possible to give this bullpen a little bit of length, because then you can move Baker to more of a multi-inning role because he, he can do that uh, through two innings yesterday. So that would mean less reliance upon both and, and Aiken. Um, Danny Coulomb, who they got basically at the, uh, at the buzzer from the Minnesota twins has looked great. Uh, a lot of people I know I saw on Twitter were surprised that the Twins uh, did not keep him. But for the Orioles to get a lefty reliever for, I think it was just a little bit of cash, uh, seems like a, a coup for them. Um, not a hard thrower, but he's got a really good, he's really good command and his uh, his breaking ball is great. So, you know, he, he'll be a, a huge asset going forward, especially for a team that kind of lacks depth with lefty relievers um, and especially with DL Hall, uh, the Orioles are committed to keeping him in the rotation. So that takes away one lefty option in the pen. So uh, Danny Coulomb could be a, a sneaky candidate for best offseason pickup. And uh, speaking of the rotation, uh, it was a bit of a mixed bag results wise, but um, Again, it kind of improved as we the Orioles transitioned to the Texas series. Uh, Kyle Gibson, so the opening day starter, I would say he's been as good as advertised. Um, got into the sixth inning in Boston before he had some problems, and then he went seven innings in Texas, allowed two two earned runs. Uh, that's I'm you're not going to get probably seven innings with two earned runs every start from him, but to cover those innings, especially with the situation the bullpen was in after Braddish got hurt and the underperformance in Boston, that was huge for him to go seven innings. And I think he'll fill that role of innings eater that Jordan Lyles did last year. And will you know, even if he allows some runs in certain starts, he will throw enough innings to keep our bullpen from wiping itself out. And that in and of itself is immensely valuable. Um, then you go to our game two starter, which is Dean Kramer, uh, a little shaky. I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping for an improved or continued improvement from Kramer headed into 2023, uh, did not happen in his first start, um, allowed five earned runs in, uh, did not make it through four innings. 
also got he got hit very hard. Um, the average exit velocity against him was 97.2, which is above the threshold for a hard hit ball, which is 95 miles per hour. So, uh, yeah, any when you're every batted ball against you is on average a hard hit ball. Your results are not going to be good, and they were not. Um, three of the 11 batted balls were were barrels, which were uh, above. 95 miles per hour and then in a certain degree of a range of launch angle uh i believe it's 15 to 25 degrees don't quote me on that i should know that but do not quote me on that um so yeah the or the red sox had no problem squaring him up uh i know well i mean duvall squaring everybody up but um there was a very lackluster start in boston hopefully he can he can uh Rebound, he's scheduled to start tomorrow against the Yankees, which we'll, we will break down that series a little bit later. Uh, the other offseason acquisition, Cole Irvin, started game three. Uh, disappointing in that he didn't get very deep into the game, but he didn't get shelled in the way that Kramer did. And Fenway is a place that kind of plays to Irvin's weaknesses as well, uh, and that he's a, a fly ball pitcher and he – you know, gave up a, a home run to Kike Hernandez over the monster, who was a right-handed hitter. Um, but he only allowed four hot, four hard hit balls, and his exit velocity against was 86.6 miles per hour. So over 10 miles per hour slower than Kramer's and just about two miles per hour slower than the major league uh, average. And in the first inning, just got a little unlucky, unlucky with some, some blue pits that gave me uh, night terrors that reminded me of the 2014 ALCS, of which – we will not speak of beyond what I just said. Uh, and, um, but I'm still a fan of that pickup. I think uh, once he gets into Camden Yards, I think that's when his skill set's really going to shine. And pl- once the Orioles defense, you know, sorts itself out and gets itself in order, I think he'll be fine. Um, he's a contact pitcher who. We'll have a good defense behind him playing in Cam Yards. Uh, the cavernous left field will help him out as a left-handed hitter immensely. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely expecting a, a better Cole Irvin in start two and, and going forward. And uh, hopefully the Babbitt Blues don't get to him like they did in Boston. And then uh, let's go to Kyle Bradish, who looked incredible. Um, I have ex- proclaimed many times this offseason i think bradish will be our best uh, starter in 2023 i think um his stuff his stuff has gotten so much better uh than so i saw him last april he pitched in scranton for triple a uh his his command has gotten better his his fastball has gotten so much better than that than when it did, uh, I saw him pitch in April. Uh, and the one pitch that stood out to me the most was the slider. I, when I saw him in AAA, I thought it was his least effective pitch. Um, it looked kind of flat, but it must just be where I was sitting because uh, in the majors, it's been lethal for him. And he was spinning it on uh, on Monday. Looked fantastic. And then just gets hit with the hit with a comebacker and uh, had to exit the game. I was 
it was definitely a little uh, a little nerve wracking to to see him try that that warm up pitch and and hobble off the mound like he did. But thankfully, there's no fracture, uh, and hopefully, he'll be able to come off the IL as soon as he's eligible. But uh, yeah, just uh, talk about letting the air out of the balloon. I know I said that phrase last week, but um, to see him start out the way he did in the first two innings, he had two strikeouts to exit that way was uh, was a gut punch. But thankfully, no break. So um, hopefully, two or three starts will be all that he misses, and and uh, then we can get into the fun game of of who leaves the rotation when he comes back, because I think that'll be interesting, especially if Rodriguez gets another start and, and pitches well. Um, I don't know what Michael Elias would do in that situation. Uh, but, you know, that's a, a bridge we can cross when we get there. Um, but I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't give credit to Tyler Wells. Um, I really hope that the clubhouse chipped in and got him some sort of like a gift basket or a floral arrangement or some candy or something because he went from, you know, scheduled to be the fifth starter to start on, supposed to start on Tuesday. Then Bradish gets hit in the ankle and he volunteers himself to go into the game. And not only does he do that, but he goes in and pitches five no-hit innings. And it, I don't think I've ever seen Orioles fans frustrated that Felix Batista was coming into the game, but he was pitching so good that he made us wonder what the hell was going on and why Felix Batista was coming into this game. So to do that on, on no notice, um, to get warmed up, I would imagine his warm up was abbreviated and not what his usual routine is. Um, I can't speak to that, but I would imagine. And to go in and mow down a, a good offense, like Texas is no joke. Uh, he deserves all the plaudits in the world. Uh, and I, I was, kind of bearish on him in the rotation, but now I can see why I was an idiot and why uh, Brandon Hyde and and Michael Elias chose him to be the fifth starter. Um, Just absolute gamer. Um, And I'm glad he's on our, on our side because of that. You, you love to have dudes that are, you know, just willing to, to pick, pick up the baton, even when they're not supposed to on no notice and perform like that. Uh, I, I can't commend him enough. Uh, and especially in a game, and again, in a position where the bullpen could have potentially been in some real trouble if if he wouldn't have been able to cover that time. Um, was really the only option, on the only other option available at that point was Austin Voth. And like I said earlier, he hasn't been pitching well to start the season. So Tyler Wells did the bullpen a huge 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 service and yeah i I, they it's like take that dude out to dinner get him whatever he wants let him get the lobster tail out on who cares he deserves it um but yeah it's it's going to be interesting now to see how the situation unfolds with him do they move him back to the rotation i would imagine they would but uh Man, yeah, to have that stuff in a, in a multi-inning reliever role would be huge. But obviously, if you can make him stick as a starter, you got to do that. Um, and that, you know, going through a lineup through five innings allowing no hits, uh, that certainly 
uh, makes a case for yourself. So I think Wells will, his next appearance will be a start for sure, but it will not be in the Yankees, probably not be in the Yankee series uh, as we head into our Camden Yards home opener tomorrow. Uh, currently the, there's a bunch of TBDs, but the probables uh, for game one, it's uh, Dean Kramer and the Yankee starter is to be determined. Game two is Nestor Cortez versus Cole Irvin. And game three is Domingo Herman uh, versus uh, the Orioles starter who has yet to be determined. Uh, now for game one, uh, Clark Schmidt was scheduled to start today. So I would assume that's who they go with tomorrow. Um, it's definitely not going to be Cole, Garrett Cole. So we can, we can rest easy knowing we don't have to deal with him, but uh, Schmidt is an interesting guy. He's got elite uh, fastball curveball spin, um, 57th percentile in strikeout rate in 2022. So, uh, you know, Orioles hitters will have to be, be wary of that, but he can be prone to giving up hard contact and does have control issues. Uh, the Orioles have been fairly patient. Uh, I, their walk rate as a team is over 10% in the first six games this year. So if they can work Schmidt, uh, work his pitch count, get him to make some mistakes, uh, that could lead to to some hard contact. And hard contact is good contact. So um, that's a, definitely a winnable game. But you have to hope for more from Kramer. Um, He's going to have to keep the ball in the ballpark, which is going to be tough against the Yankees offense because they they got shooters. But uh, it would be a, a really good tone setter if Kramer could give us a, a decent start and get the Orioles off to the win. Uh, game two is going to be a bit of an issue. I, uh, I think Cole Urban's going to pitch well, but Cortez absolutely destroyed the Orioles last year. He had three starts in which he threw 18 and a third innings, allowed zero runs, struck out 31, and walked just three. So um, that's not exactly instilling confidence that the Orioles will be able to get to him. But, you know, yeah, who knows? It's it's going to be tough. Cortez is a good pitcher. He was an all-star last year. The, the king of weak contact uh, uses deception and his craftiness to his utmost advantage. And it, it, it works. It's uh, you think there wouldn't be such a thing as a crafty lefty in a, in an age where everybody seems to be throwing 97 and up, but he makes it work. Uh, and, uh, I don't know where this dude came from, but it was, this is not the Nestor Cortez that the Orioles took in the rule five draft several years ago. Uh, he is, turn himself into a fantastic pitcher and it's going to be a tall task for, for the Orioles offense. I, I would bet on that being a low scoring game. If I had to put money on it, I don't know what the over under is going to be, but I would think the under is going to hit there. I think both pitchers are going to do pretty well. Um, and then uh, game three, uh, Domingo Herman, uh, fantastic control was in the 70th percentile, uh, his walk rate. So uh, don't expect the Orioles to, get on base that way. Uh, he's a, also a kind of pitches backwards. He uses his curveball primarily and uh, his uh, off-speed pitch as well. And his fastball is actually his third most utilized pitch. Uh, so that's a, a, a bit different, but he uses it uh, effectively 
uh, especially w- with his command. Um, but he's another one like Schmidt that can be prone to hard contact. So um, the Orioles hitters are going to have to be, I would say, be aggressive and uh, in the early in the count because he's not going to throw many balls and uh, just hope for the best. But it's going to be it's going to be a tough series. The Yankees' offense has been stellar as most would expect in the first six games and it's the usual suspects you got judge rizzo lemayhew uh stanton started off a little bit slow but he's been he's hit two home runs and then you have out of seemingly nowhere the resurgence of glaber torres which is not good news to any oriole fan who remembers what he's done to us um he has tore the cover off the ball. His slash line is 421 with a 560 on base and a 789 slugging. Uh, Absolute torrid start to the season. And I think the most surprising thing would be his steals. He is five for six for stolen bases this year, which is significantly ahead of his usual pace. He had 10 in all of 2022 and he had 14 in 2021. So he's almost halfway to his 2021 total and exactly halfway to his total last year. I don't, I don't understand how that happens, but, um, but Hey, if uh, Adley Rutschman can catch him sleeping a couple times, more power to the Orioles. But uh, yeah, we might have to worry about Glaber being, old Glaber again, which is never an easy task. And there's always a guy that is the Oriole destroyer. And it's always a guy. Well, not always a guy that, that is unsuspecting, but most of the time it is like you had Mookie Betts, obviously, you know, he's, that's no surprise. He's a superstar. Then you had Glaber. So who's going to be the next Orioles destroyer. And if I had to pick, I have a bad feeling that it's going to be Franchi Cordero just because the Orioles had him and it would just be such an Orioles thing for him to, to be released, sign with another team and then just destroy us. Uh, and he, again, I was you know surprised that he didn't make the opening day roster with how well he hit in spring training and how the concerted effort, it seemed like Michael Elias made to try and find a, a first base, uh, like a bench first baseman. Uh, but then he got his release, signed the uh, million-dollar deal with the Yankees, and uh, has made some guest appearances and has done well. So I just, yeah, if anybody's going to destroy us, it's going to be Franchi Cordero, which sounds stupid talking about a team that has Aaron Judge in its lineup. But it's just, it, the story writes itself. It's just a matter of who gets the worst of it. Um but, hey, maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong, hopefully. But uh, it should be an interesting series against the Yankees to open up Camden Yards for 2023. Thankfully, get a little bit of reprieve headed to Oakland after that, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, hopefully the, the Orioles can can make a series of this, get get two or three, and keep themselves in the middle of the, the AL East table. Uh, even though it's early, you hate to see them at the bottom at any, any time. Um but there, thankfully, there there aren't any major red flag alarm bells that that have gone off yet. Nothing to suggest that this season may go sideways. Um, even with the whole McKenna incident, I would chalk that up more to a fluke than anything else. But uh, 
no reason not to be optimistic, I would say. And between the offense performing, the fact that the rotation is slowly coming around, bullpen slowly coming around, then the fact that we have the talent pipeline that we do and the ability, if we are still in contention in the summer, to make trades and use those pieces to make trades. So I no reason not to be op- optimistic. I think this, this Yankee series is going to be a good barometer. Uh, and hopefully I'm still feeling that way headed out of it, but, uh, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm encouraged. Um, which is not something I thought I would be saying after, after the McKenna game, but here we are three and three Grayson Rodriguez is on the big club and it's full steam ahead, hopefully. Um, but just wanted to do some administrative work before I go. Uh, remember, you can follow me on Twitter at JJ Lynn JJ, and you can follow the podcast page at the underscore OC underscore podcast. And there you will get information about when I'm recording, when I'll be going live, where you can find the podcast. Uh, it will be available on all major podcast platforms, including Apple podcasts and Spotify. Uh, and I, I also broadcast these live on Twitter and on YouTube at the ornithologically correct YouTube channel, which I would appreciate your subscription and thumbs up to. That'd be great. Uh, But yeah, thank you again for listening. Thank you again for coming along for this ride for me. And uh, this has been another episode of Ornithologically Correct. I'm Josh Lynn, and I will see you guys next week. Let's go O's.